for exclusive podcasts and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I will not fuck this one up. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Jessica Stone of Georgetown, Texas. Jessica will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Sarah Carradine, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories. These are their stories. Nailed it. She nailed it. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit Season 19, Episode 15, in Loco Parentis. I tried to do what you said, Uncle Sonny. I, I tried. I really did. I know. I know you did. I know. And now nobody will believe me. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Because, because we're not going to say anything about what really happened the first time. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On at Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. And rounding out the panel is our special guest from the Crime Scene podcast. It's Sarah Carradine. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Good morning from Gadigal Land in Sydney, Australia. Wow, that's a far ways away. <laughs> Only if you walk. Only if you walk, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, it only keeps occurring to me, we're talking to Sarah, like our communication is going through space. Yeah. Mr. Marconi never thought that all of his life work would be put to the use of us crapping on Dick Wolf's prime <laughs> franchise for 45 minutes. His, mag- his magnum opus. So, Sarah, on your podcast, you and a friend review all the latest in true crime content. Why hasn't anyone thought to do that before? <laughs> Come on. Come on. We even say case closed together at the end, just like you guys talk together. Your fingerprints are all over our podcast. And then we thought, well, let's get the progenitor and let's get Rebecca. And we had a a wonderful time reviewing Undercurrent. Mm, Which... We had already done on our show, Kevin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just like a shadow of crime writers. On You should go on their show. It is so fun. You have to go, Kevin, if they invite you. By the way, you have to invite him. Lara's coming on. Oh, that's good. She can do it. That's right. Yes. She's coming on Inside Job, our conversations with people who know crime, the law, and justice from the inside. Mm. <laughs> so, Sarah, do you feel like all these years of ripped from the headlines – episodes were true crime before true crime was cool well wasn't true crime when was true crime not cool exactly when we were trying to make money off of it as writers i think yeah <laughs> oh money shmoney i'm actually looking at at two of your books right now nice uh dirty little secret our, our little, little secret, secret. yeah Dark Heart and Notes on a Killing. Wow, we just made 75 cents down there. I know, that's fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) In Australian money, so whatever that is. Hey! Cougar Ants. Come on. Lira, I have no idea. (laughs) Deutschmark. 
<laughs> I think people have always been interested in true crime. It's uh, you know we talk about this on the show when we have guests. We say, you know, tell us your true crime origin story. What do you like, and why do you like it? And so many people say, well, if I know about the crimes that are, you know, the menu of crimes that's available, I can protect myself from it. This is completely false, and you can't. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> that kind of talisman of let me watch this, let me consume this, and and somehow be protected. Hmm. That's not my view of the world, but uh, I don't. I try not to disturb them when they say it. Sarah, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Uh, I have to say Briscoe and Green. Come on, yeah, good pick. Anybody who does not say that is incorrect. <laughs> um, but if I was <laughs> if I was going to come just from the SVU franchise, it would have to be Munch and Finn. Oh yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, in this episode, spoiler, we don't get any sweet wisdom from Finn, but he is there. Yeah, he is there being ch- charmed. We see him being charmed by someone. It's kind of cute. Yes. And who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. I'm going to say Elizabeth Donnelly. Not quite oh. a team. Maybe she's a team on her own. Wow, what a great dark horse pick. That is Judith Light. Yes. Who, she was not only a prosecutor and then she became a judge and she's still flirting with Stabler and it's completely inappropriate. And I just keep thinking about that bathtub scene from Transparent. Transparent and, you know, I just. <laughs> I always think about who's the boss. Tony! Tony! <laughs> yeah, the difference is in this uh, series, though, everybody knows what their character's name is. So unlike Tony Danza, they don't have to make the character the same name. It's so true. They, she's not yelling, Christopher! <laughs> Maloney! <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, SVU Season 19, Episode 15, in Loco Parentis. Or if you're watching on Hulu... And loco parentis, there is a typo. <laughs> what does it even mean in loco parentis? In loco parentis is a Latin legal term meaning in place of a parent. Okay. Oh, standing in for. Standing in for, yeah. I get it now. Acting, acting yes. for. And they're talking about Carisi. I guess. Or this, well, how, about, how about we do this? Or, but first, I have to give a note. We are going to be talking about fictional detectives investigating fictional sex crimes against fictional victims. So if you still find that especially heinous, you can listen to another one of our episodes. I mean, anybody watching SVU is already doing that, so <laughs> yeah. we're going to be laughing at you it. You can't whine. <laughs> so. so no one knows how to apply justice like the student tribunal at Hudson University. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Carisi's niece, Mia, says she did not give consent to her classmate, Ethan, who raped her in her dorm three months ago. Carisi thinks Ethan's one-year suspension from school isn't good enough and he wants to arrest him. Under Title IX, the school only needs preponderance of evidence to convict. The state needs beyond a reasonable doubt. We understand that. Good. I've heard enough. That's it? You're leaving? I'm going to get you a subpoena for the tribunal transcripts. It's a start until you can get me enough evidence to charge rape. Detective Carisi, I'm sorry for what happened to your niece. Mia tells Benson she told Ethan no, but she's fuzzy on some of the details. Ethan tells Rollins and Finn the sex was consensual, and the only reason he went to the dorm was he thought Mia's roommate, Renata, who happened to be his ex-girlfriend, would be there. The RA says that after the assault, classmate Andy spent the night in Mia's room. He says nothing happened, and Mia was depressed, and now is worried that she's going to falsely accuse him of rape, too. Broke-ass prosecutor Peter Stone 
says the holes in Mia's story and the lack of other evidence means they won't file charges. Sonny's sister is all sorts of Italian pissed. But Mia privately admits that she lied about giving consent because she didn't want Renata mad that she fucked her ex-boyfriend. Creasy says that she has got to make things right. Later, Uncle Sonny gets a call summoning him to Mia's dorm. She says she invited Ethan over to apologize. That's when he raped her for real. Mia says no one's going to believe her because she cried wolf the first time, but Carisi tells her to keep that a secret. <gasps> All right, so we find Sonny and his sister, Teresa Carisi. Yes. Teresa Carisi. Yeah. Someone thought very hard about that. They're having the exact conversation Italian siblings would have if, I'm just finding out about this now. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me about this? The university's handling it. There's a hearing right now. Mia didn't want the police involved. Mia didn't want the police involved. She's 18 years old, Teresa. You should have called me. I'm trying to trust your judgment. Be a better parent. Be a better parent than who, mom and dad? (laughs) It is such a payoff. After years of hearing Carisi talk about his sister and his nieces, this is a payoff, is it not? It is. You know, I got sis- sisters is like the is the new Stabler's family, right? It's the newest daughters. Yeah, it's newest daughters. Yeah. I understand it as a man because I have female relatives. <laughs> That's right. I'm a dedicated member of an elite squad because my nieces. <laughs> he the way he talks about nieces, it's like I don't know. I don't want to say nieces aren't as important as your own children. But they're fucking not. <laughs> they're just not. But the way he talks about his nieces, yeah, it's like he's talking about a body part. Well, I actually don't know if he talks about a lot of nieces. He's always talking about his sisters. Yes. But certainly, you know, it's like, oh, mamma mia. All the, you he know. has talked and about his And his mother's, nieces. you know, chocolate baklava, whatever the baklava? hell she makes. Baklava? What is he, Greek? Now? I don't know. Did she suddenly turn into a Greek woman? Lasagna? I don't know. They're all from another part of Europe. I'm from Ireland. We like potatoes, sometimes with butter on it. <laughs> don't get me started. You guys don't even like salt up there. You've already started. Yeah. Yes. But look, he's, he's in loco parentis. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> he is standing in as a parent. Uh, Teresa Carisi has been, I can't say that's with a straight face, has been divorced from her husband since Mia was three, so 15 years ago. We can do the mathematics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and presumably he has been standing in as a parent for yes. all that time. So, yeah. But he also speaks about nieces as if no one else has a niece. Correct. Yeah, right. Correct. Also, I have questions about Teresa's decor. If we're not going to discuss that later, can you put a pin in it so we all can? All right. Thank you. Ooh. It's perfect Italian sibling decor, right? <laughs> it is. If you're Teresa Carisi, you got to say it like this with the with the uh, chef's kiss hand. Teresa Carisi. I'm just going to say it. Teresa Carisi would, in fact, paint her living room black and have a leather sofa. That is a Teresa Carisi living room right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, it's been almost five years, and we're still not over Barba, uh, in part because he's replaced by trash lawyer Peter Stone. <laughs> He's in the wrong place if he wants to win. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Apparently. Yeah. Well, he's trying to make friends, right? He's passing along a what's up to Finn from a character on a whole third (laughs) other show on NBC. Yeah. Right? The triangulation here. Counselor. Hey, Detective, I spoke with Antonio Dawson this morning. He sends his regards. Okay, that's my man. Tell him I said hi. I'll do that. But Rollins isn't thrilled with uh, Mommy's new boyfriend. Need two buddies now? Seems like okay, dude. I think you should go back to Chicago. 
It's not his fault Barbara pulled the plug on that baby. Just saying. Correct. It's not. Yeah. It's none of our fault. Get some sweet wisdom from Finn. Sweet wisdom from Finn. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Finn's yeah. like, it's not my fault your buddy committed infanticide and got away with it. Maybe you're the asshole, Rollins. You know whose fault it was? Who? The baby's. The baby's fault. <laughs> that baby just had to be lying there, right? Just yeah. tempting him so much. Yeah, couldn't you die faster? <laughs> it's a fake baby, by the way. By the way it was a doll, rubber doll. For clearly, yeah. we are, would not be laughing if it were a real baby. Yeah. No, we laughed the last time when we did that episode. <laughs> it was the stupidest. Uh, we are not laughing at dead babies. We are laughing at this show's using no. a stupid dying baby plot to let go of one of its most cherished characters yeah. for no reason. Yes. They could have just had yes. him get a new job. Sarah is the one laughing at dead babies. <laughs> I'm laughing at dead babies, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're called Drew. Yeah. <laughs> Drew? <laughs> Sorry to all the Drews out there, but really. So Rollins and Carisi interview Renata, uh, Mia's roommate. Hot. And she is six Oof, foot tall, tall and, and five yes. feet of that are legs. Yes. Mm. I was shocked to hear what Ethan did. This is so horrible for Renata, me. when did she tell you what had happened? The next day. No, the day after. I was skiing in Vermont with my parents. So Monday. You know, Ethan needed a stepladder to get into that, right? <laughs> <laughs> She's distractingly pretty. But don't, yeah. don't we always see Ethan sitting down? Yes. Yeah, sitting down at the tribunal, sitting down on the steps, moping because he's not going to be a neurosurgeon wanker, <laughs> uh, and sitting down in the um, in the courtroom. So we don't know. He could be tall. He might have freakishly long legs too. That's why they were perfect for each other. Yeah. I'm not wrong that Renata is distractingly beautiful, right? No, you're not wrong. Oh, yeah. You're yeah. not wrong. They're bad casting. Yeah. So another potential witness is Andy Rayburn. So they knock on the door of his dorm room. What's that? NYPD. Hey. Hi, who are these guys? We're the police. That sucks. Yeah, they said they were police, and he comes to the door with a can of beer in his hand. Andy Rayburn looks like he's part of the Trump administration. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like he's one of those guys... He likes, he's like Stephen Miller's chief of staff. All he needs is a blue blazer Ooh, and a red I, hat. I'm yeah. just saying, he 100% looks like on January 6th was like, it's fine. I'm in the shower. I got the news report and I'm just going to keep sudsing up. Like he does not give a shit about anything. He went to college and already had a facelift. Like that's what that kid looks like. <laughs> Sarah, he asks unprompted if he's being accused of rape. Two. That, that, Two. Yeah. That is the most Hudson thing that has ever been Hudson. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. Yes, I mean, uh, I can criticize the writing of this uh, episode, and I will. But a couple <laughs> of things it does really well is it starts in media res. Another nice piece of Latin there for you. Um, with Not in loco parentis. Yeah, in yeah. media res, yes. The middle of things. In the middle of things. But the, the other thing it does really well is just that instant quick line of, oh, She's, you know, accusing me of rape too, which gives you that idea of this of this story rushing around the campus like wildfire, and the prevailing idea being, despite the fact that that Ethan got a year suspension, that it was a false accusation. So I did like the economy of that. Mm. There's actually a lot about this episode to like, other than the fact that there's a lot about it to not like. You mean Peter Stone? Mm-hmm. Well, I will say. Yeah. 
This is the only episode in which Peter Stone has potential. I I want to come back and talk to, <laughs> talk about that later. Okay. Because I, yes, I agree with you on that. It was like this is the only episode where I was like, oh, this is interesting. Every episode after this, like, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a hey, it's that girl. Hey, it's that girl. Who's the actress playing Carisi's niece, Mia? I don't know. It happened so fast. He put his tongue in my mouth. I was choking. Pushed him away, but but before I knew what was happening, he was inside me. She was in an episode where the sperm donor, where there was a sperm donor, and someone was pretending to be that sperm donor, contacting the putative daughters and then sexually assaulting them. <gasps> wow, what? that's horrible. That's very specific. I hope you're talking about an SVU episode. <laughs> SVU, yes. Okay, yes. all right, all right. Yes. Uh, that's uh, Rayanne Shane. She was diva on Showtime's Banshee. She also played Daniela on the show Lights Out, along Hey, It's That Guy's Pablo Schreiber, Elizabeth Marvel, Reg E. Kathy, and Mr. Noodle himself, Bill Irwin. Wow. All those Hey, It's That Guys. Did not... Did not know her from any of that. Yeah. Rayanne returned as Mia this year in the episode in which we learn Carisi's mother is played by Beverly D'Angelo. Hmm. Uh, I cannot believe that they have someone of the caliber of Beverly D'Angelo who was not the killer. Right. I mean, that should be the first thing you see. It's like, oh, yeah. she did it. Mm. I mm. This is for real. IMDb has the cast list up for the season 24 premiere. And it lists a bunch of returning characters, including Beverly D'Angelo's Serafina Carisi. Serafina Carisi! Yes! But it also has, in this episode, this is what it says on IMDb, we're going to see Stabler. Yes. Munch. Ooh. Casey Novak. Ooh. Danny Ooh. Beck. What? Trevor Lanigan. And, again, not kidding, it says Ed Tucker as a ghost. <laughs> First of all, no one wants to see Danny Beck unless she's a ghost. I believe somebody hacked that IMDb page and is fucking with the world. <laughs> so who's the actress playing Ethan's lawyer, Arlene Heller? You slept with him and you cried rape. I mean, after all, it happened once. Who wouldn't believe you a second time? Certainly not your uncle, the detective. Susie is her first name. Yes. And her second name is Essen, Essen, Essman, Essman. Yeah, Essman, Susie Essman. Essman. Seven Law & Order franchise appearances for the trifecta. You know I her. I love her. You know her as Larry David's foil Susie yes. on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, that's how I know her from this. Always, yeah. Larry, you son of a bitch. That's perfect. <laughs> she could have played the sister. She and husband Jim were married by writer and TV producer Tom Fontana from Homicide. Huh, who was the guy who they named Fontana after. Exactly, yes. exactly. He became an ordained minister online through the American Fellowship Church. And Sarah, no joke, that's how we were married too. That's true. Some guy became an ordained minister through the American Fellowship Church. It was not... Tom Fontana. But no. eh. That's right. Is this anybody can do this? You just go online, tippity tap tap. Yeah. Yes. Press pay, PayPal. Yes. And our Submit. friend who married us uh, at the end of uh, the ceremony said, I hereby, <laughs> and from the Internet <laughs> Church of Nothing, yes. pronounce you man and wife. Woo! <laughs> I'm still not certain we're legally married. I'm just not going to look. Yeah. You know, it's Let's like, just, do it. yeah, just Let's let it go. It. Just Let's just say, it. when Do we get divorced, it's going to be super 
easy. <laughs> Go to an online divorce attorney, too. So we have a repeat offender. Repeat offender. John Rotham is back as Judge Koufax. That's the judge who's running a brothel for the women in his drug treatment court. Oh. You were looking at contempt. One more outburst? Can you tell oh, me? Is this the same guy? Yeah. He's so shocked what? and upset by this, though. It's so yes, great. he is. Who's the actor playing Ethan? I don't know. This is crazy. I, I didn't even want to hook up with Mia. I only went to her room because I thought Renata would be there. That's Sam Vartholomeus. He's the lead on the TV show Bridge and Tunnel. Hmm. And because you're over the age of 12, you have not seen that. Yes. I've not seen that. Do you recognize Renata, the roommate with the five foot long legs? And then she just started crying and she said she didn't want to have sex and he had forced her. No, because she's too tall to see. <laughs> she had to tilt the camera up to see her. That's fashion model and aspiring actress Rachel Finnegar. She was in the movie Monstrous, playing a lesbian serial killer who was later killed by Bigfoot. <laughs> was it because she was a lesbian? <laughs> Is this because I'm a lesbian? No, she's not, not a lesbian. Uh, no, no. Uh, apparently, Bigfoot just thought she was warm-blooded. Bigfoot thought mm-hmm. she was too emotional. Yeah. Too Italian. Too Italian. Too Italian. Yeah, yeah. It's a very layered performance, apparently. (laughs) I love that you called her an aspiring actress when she just she's been in things. She's actually an actress. Yeah, you know her. Kiss my ass, Rebecca. (laughs) I know her now. Rachel Finnegar, you're great. You're very beautiful and tall. And Renata, I think you got the short shrift. But I'm really glad you broke up with this guy because clearly he's no good. Well, she thought he was one of the good ones. Yeah. (laughs) So Rachel just had a baby. 28 hours of unproductive labor, emergency C-section, her blood went septic, spent weeks in the hospital. This is not fictional. No, it's not fictional. This is not not fictional. Yeah, she gave birth to a healthy daughter. Uh, The baby wasn't stuck. She just saw how long her mom's legs were and thought it was a long way to fall. (laughs) How do you get this this information? I went to her Instagram. Oh, my goodness. You are. And I keep going back to her Instagram. (laughs) We only want to hear about fictional blood. We don't want to hear real, real blood. I see what Bigfoot saw in her is what I'm saying. Who is the actress playing the Hudson University Tribunal Officer? Case 1708. The complainant is Mia Marino, the alleged perpetrator, Ethan Hartley. I don't know. That's Janice Fuentes. She got her start on the Washington-based political drama K Street. While in real life, she was working as the chief of staff to Congressman Luis Gutierrez. Wow. Double duty. Yeah. By day. And how was what was her labor story? Did you get that? <laughs> I did not get that. I don't know if she has reproduced. Uh... Okay. Lastly, who played the pedestrian? What pedestrian? The male pedestrian. Which male pedestrian? I, know, I think when they were in the in the coffee shop, you went past the window. Oh, we don't fucking know. I know. Basically, he was the only one of the extras who bothered to mark up his IMDb page okay. here. Okay. That's Bob Lazaskic. He was on the show page, but officially listed as uncredited. Okay. Right? And he has over 100 appearances that are, quote, uncredited. Okay. Oh, he's onto that keyboard as fast as he can he since is. he books that job whip. Uh, last year, he was on the mothership as 
high-ranking policeman, mm. uncredited. <laughs> in J-Lo's Marry Me, yes, you saw that movie. I did. Yeah, he was the airline passenger selling his coat, uncredited. uncredited. Yeah. In New Amsterdam, he played snow-covered homeless man, uncredited. In Friends from College, he played Polish disco dancer. We watched that show. I do not remember a Polish disco dancer. Yeah. I feel like he's coming up with these names himself. Yeah. When he goes in. In Happy. Remember Happy? That was Chris Maloney's show before yep. he went back to yep. Law and Order. He played elderly dead guy draped over chair. Mm. Uncredited. <laughs> <laughs> Pattern here. He's definitely naming his own characters. Yeah. Probably gives them a backstory. Probably. Mm -hmm. In uh, Hunters, the TV show, he played nude Auschwitz prisoner. Hmm. Uncredited. You think he's method? Probably. I, I hope so, because the last one he has, he was an HBO's deuce, and he's listed as ardent porn fan. <laughs> Uncredited. <laughs> That's you, babe. That's you. How do I, ardent? Is that the adjective you want to use there for? <laughs> Determined. Blistered, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Having been falsely accused of rape, Ethan is depressed that he'll never be a neurosurgeon. Yeah, he sure, Ethan. Yeah, he was going <laughs> to go to Hudson Medical School, and we established that last episode that Hudson Medical School is full of bitches. Yeah. I can't go back to Hudson, and no other school will accept me when they find out why I left. You're so proud of your son, the future doctor. Well, that's not happening. Just get used to it. Why does he think he's not going to get back into Hudson? Being a felon is like being a legacy there. This this is what really puzzled me. He's speaking, he says he applied to 15 other colleges, no one wants to touch him, bye-bye, mummy, daddy, dream of me being a neurosurgeon, wanker. But <laughs> it's only a one-year suspension, and after your suspension, presumably you go back to medical school. Yeah. He wasn't in medical school. He was an undergrad, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Slippage. He hasn't even gotten into medical school yet, A. B, a lot of undergrads don't make it into medical school. C, I don't think this kid's going to medical school. He has yet to live out the Hudson dream, which is to get your medical license and then have Jack McCoy take it away from you for some <laughs> felonious reason. <laughs> I love how like undergrads are like, there goes my dream of being a doctor. I'm like, dude, you still had 12 years. You were not you close. You were not be a doctor. You yeah. weren't close to being a doctor yet. You hadn't even taken your like MCATs yet. You had a long way to go. You hadn't even passed organic chemistry yet. You were not even close. You know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be doing the laundry at the prison. So, <laughs> so people-pleasing Mia finally admits to Uncle Sonny what happened. Are you telling me that you lied? To the school? To the police? You know how serious this is? I'm sorry. Mia, it's not me you should be apologizing to. It's Ethan. I didn't. I never thought things would go this far. I never thought he'd get kicked out of school. I ruined his life. I don't know what to do. What you do? You make this right. That's that's what you do. Do you understand me? But he didn't quite offer advice on how to make this right. So it is kind of his fault. Yes. It's totally, completely, and utterly his fault. For for for, for not just this, but the fact that he counsels. Uh, a little tiny bit of perjury and then doesn't have the balls to go through with his own perjury. Correct. This is completely fucking his fault. What does making it right mean? Well, you know why Mia is keeping it a secret. It's because she's afraid of her mother. Carisi is keeping it a secret because he's also afraid of her mother. Yes. These Carisis. Yeah. 
Teresa Carisi. They can't stop being Italian. They're yeah. very Italian. The funniest line ever. I'm sorry about my sister. Sorry, my sister's very Italian. As, as someone who is also Italian, I will say, I don't know what the fuck that means. I have no idea what that means. Oh, I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rollins and Carisi rush back to Mia's dorm room. Carisi tells her that she needs to lie to the world about the thing he just said she had to tell the truth about. Does this feel like something the character of Carisi would actually do? Sarah, what do you think? I don't think anything in this episode, apart from the heavy sighing and the furrowed brow, is anything (laughs) that this character would do. I think that this episode, if I may, is a betrayal of the character Mm -hmm. by the writers and, you know, the actor wants his paycheck and I understand that. And also trusts the director and the writers and says, okay, you give me this, I'll make it work, as every actor always does. But it's just so clunky and I think that despite it being a very Carisi-heavy episode, it was about penetrating stone into this situation in order to tell him you don't get a perfect victim, Don't you're in the wrong place if you want to uh, win all the time. Uh, welcome to sex crimes, they mm. say to him. And I think that um, Carisi's being sacrificed at the altar of stone. This was not okay. This was like taking like his, um, you know, his stuff with his sisters and his nieces, which is just part of his stupid character development, which is unnecessary and like twisting it in a way that was like stupid. And they're also doing this dumb caricature of Italian families and doing it poorly in a way, like, they could have done it well and funny in a way that was funny, but it wasn't even funny. It was just stupid. I don't like anything about it. By the way, just looking at the furniture in that dorm room, you know there's no way Renata could fit in that bed. (laughs) (laughs) Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Finn and Stone grill Ethan about his latest encounter with Mia, and he says the sex, again, was consensual. So you expect us to believe she had consensual sex with a guy who assaulted her three months ago? I didn't rape her before either. She's setting me up. Why? What do you mean? Well, the university believed her. They suspended you. Why would she set you up? I don't know. She was pissed I didn't go to prison. Look, I'm telling you, this whole thing was a setup. She texted me, asked me to come to her dorm room. After getting a lecture from Benson that... Not all rape victims make perfect witnesses. Stone files charges against Ethan. At trial, Mia says Ethan was angry when he came over, then threw her on the bed and violated her. Ethan's lawyer goes after Carisi, accusing him of a vendetta against her client. When asked what Mia told him about the first rape, Carisi admits it never happened. Seemingly cruising to an acquittal, Ethan takes the stand to say his life's been ruined by the accusations against him. Stone riles him up, asks if he's pissed off, asks if he's being railroaded by the bleeding heart hippies, the PC police. Did you order the code red on Santiago? (laughs) You're damn right I did. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) In his rage, Ethan blurts out that if he's going to be called a rapist, he might as well be a rapist. After saying the thing out loud that he really should have kept inside, the jury finds him guilty. Mia withdraws from Hudson, and Stone tries to be nice to everybody, but nobody's buying it. Hmm. All right, two threads through this episode. One has to do with the myth of perfect victims, perfect witnesses, when it goes towards getting a conviction for sexual assault. Olivia tries to explain this to Stone. Look, nobody asks a robbery or a homicide victim if she wanted it. Nobody says, hey, 
Why was she walking down the dark alley? Why was she wearing the dark skirt? Nobody implies that the crime was somehow her fault. She says, uh, why was she walking down a dark alley? Why was she wearing a dark skirt? And I suspect that that should have been short skirt because dark <laughs> skirt doesn't make sense. Yeah. And they just breezed past it. Maybe they wanted to get to lunch. Ah, it'll do. No one will notice. No one, heck me. <laughs> she also you know, said something about how no one asks the homicide victim if they wanted it. Of course not, because the homicide victim's dead. I know. You can't ask them anything. That's true. That's true. This Unless is, they're a ghost coming back a ghost. in season 24. This, yeah. What do you say, Tucker? Did you want it? There's, there's like a couple of production issues with the show aside from that. Have you know? Did you guys notice that Teresa Carisi at the end of you every scene? You didn't say it right. Say it. Teresa Carisi. Yeah. At the end of every scene she's in is storming up the stairs. Like... Every scene, storming up the stairs. Storming out of the coffee shop. Where is she going? Always up the stairs. Always up the stairs. Where is she going? She's got Always. laundry to fold. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go say my rosary. <laughs> Can't believe this, Sonny. Dominic, you're supposed to fix this. I'm gonna tell Ma, Serafina Carisi. I need you to repaint another coat of black paint on my living room walls. <laughs> I think SVU has done a lot to educate the public that victimization makes some people do counterintuitive things, but they're still victims. I think that's a positive legacy for the show. That's actually factually true. Yeah. It has actually been proven by studies that have been done uh, with college students and young people that SVU has educated uh, young people and, by the way, police departments about rape and about sexual assault and that SVU itself has infused the culture with a different understanding of sexual assault and victimization more so than anything else in our culture or in the world. Isn't that weird? This stupid fucking show has actually made a positive it, it, difference. It may be, but Sarah, sort of the second thread is that you know, these are the seasons of SVU. That suck. Where, well, the episodes <laughs> are so much about who the perp is. They're a lot about what happened behind closed doors and where's the line. And Rollins alludes to this in the first half. What, what are you saying? You think my niece made this up? No, that's not what I'm saying. But, you know, we both know that these cases are not black and white. They're, they're kids. They're immature, sexually inexperienced. And you throw drinking into the mix. Look, I'm not always happy about how the writers come down on these episodes. But again, I'd say that SVU has done a lot to get young men and young women thinking about what consent is and how that looks like. Yes, I mean this 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 episode did make me reflect. I mean we very quickly go to the, <clears throat> that the first ra a rape accusation was um was false. But when Mia describes it it's this strange funny line where she wasn't ready and she didn't want it, but then she said yes. And I that that I liked. I liked that murkiness and that muddiness because I think it is murky and muddy. And when I think back to me at 18, 19, 20, there was a lot of murkiness and muddiness, but we didn't know as young women how to describe it, what to do with it, uh, what we were allowed to say and not say. Um, often we would sleep with a chap out of politeness, you know, well, we've got this fire and I don't dislike you. So Yeah, kind of like my marriage, actually. Yeah, just, exactly. We've just got this far and I don't yeah. dislike yes. you. Yeah, just yes. to be polite. Thanks, babe. Someone's got to make breakfast tomorrow. <sighs> Does this mean you're going to mow the lawn? <laughs> no. But, you know, but what I'm, what, what my point, and I do have one, is that I liked this idea of it wasn't, the first one wasn't clear. 
But then it very rapidly became, oh, it was a false accusation. But I didn't see that from what was being said. I saw that she was confused. She felt guilty. She had a lot of feelings. She had actually said the word yes. And I like that. And if it's, if it's talking, making people talk about consent, thanks, Mr. Wolf. Hmm. Stone asks Benson to meet him for a bottle of wine at this white tablecloth <laughs> restaurant <laughs> called Forlini's. Yes, but it's very Italian. Forlini's is all. It's very. It's very Italian. But Forlini's is also the dive bar where we always see Barbara sipping a scotch, watching soccer games. Yes. Figured you'd be here. Is this where you'd find Mr. Barba? That's your seat, actually. Can I sit down? Help yourself. Carisi goes into this like Forlini's multiverse and says to Stone, "Well, I thought I'd find you here." Yeah, it's a different place. It seems like a completely different place. It's like the front is a different place than the back. It's oh, a- I, do you really think all the fancy, fancy-ass people walk through that shithole? It's a past- different place. It's a different place. It's a 100% different place. Different place. Yeah. It's like, remember we went to that bar in the Lower East Side and they had that vending machine that gave out Hall and Oates buttons? That second is, place yeah. is that place. Sarah's wow. like, I have to move to New York. That I have first to go place there. is not that there. place. The first place was like a. It was, there were two different places. But I don't understand. Yeah, it's the Forlini multiverse. It is. It was. It was not the same place. Yeah, a hundred percent not the same place. But why do you meet someone for a bottle of wine? She arrives and she says, "I'm not having dinner." It's like, but it, he must have asked you to dinner, and now you can't have dinner. What? It was very odd. It was yeah. very odd. It was very odd to see them in a restaurant. I want to see them at a bar. I want to see that sort of the drinking and the, the as you say, Kevin, the behind closed doors discussions yeah. that I'm sure that and a lot more murky things happen behind closed doors. This so was, I like that about it. Yeah, this was, as soap fans call it, a chem test episode. Ah, yes. So to see if they have yes, something. Because okay. of the scene where she sort of walks into the office and he's putting his shirt on. Oh, sorry. Go for it. There's a time for work and a time for not work. There's the scene where they're sitting at the table together and she can't oh, stay. So Total chem test. So, like, they do that thing where they, like, put them in a scene together and see how the audience reacts, see how it feels. That's what this episode was, 100%. Right. Well, yeah. so, so, so Stone was waiting behind his closed office door, shirtless, waiting for the first person to knock on the door so he could say, come in, uh, I'm just putting my shirt on. <laughs> yeah. If I had, I mean. Oh, dumb. It was so dumb. Not yeah. going to lie. I mean, I hate Peter Stone <laughs> so much. Yeah. But if I had a body like that, that's the game that I might play as well. Yeah, <laughs> just always be shirtless. Yeah. Uh, at trial, Mia testifies about the rape, and the defense attorney starts her cross-examination with, Well, that sounds awful, Mia, but I'm going to let that be for now. That sounds awful. But no, it doesn't sound like she thinks that's awful at all. No. Mm, go Susie. Go Susie. <laughs> <laughs> So in the end, Stone gets his Perry Mason moment when he goads Ethan into confessing to raping Mia. And what got this Kyle Rittenhouse motherfucker all worked up was that woke people would look down on him for being a rapist. Yeah, just the woke people. (laughs) Damn school, they wrap themselves in their political correctness and their honor code, only they don't know the first thing about honor. You were accused, therefore you were guilty. That's right. I was already labeled a rapist. What the hell? I might as well be a rapist. And who better to rape than Mia Marino? That's right! The bitch ruined me and I got to ruin her. That's not why we looked down on you. Or that's not only why. (laughs) We didn't like you before, so. (laughs) This is a convenient excuse to ghost you. Correct. Yeah, that was wild. By the way, the medical school is not going to let him in, but he can still join the priesthood. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh. Oh, God. 
So let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. Oh, boy. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the Headlines. This episode takes cues from the case of Nikki Yovino. In October 2016, police responded to a Bridgeport, Connecticut hospital for a sexual assault complaint. Yovino said she'd been at a party for the Sacred Heart University football team. She said two players dragged her into a bathroom and raped her. When questioned by police, one of the football players showed them Yovino had been messaging him for a week before the party. They said the 19-year-old girl had consensual sex with them, but when her friends caught them all leaving the bathroom, she claimed to have been raped. After being confronted by investigators, Yovino admitted she made the story up. She said she had a crush on another one of the partygoers, and thought the accusations would make him sympathetic towards her. Fueled by the sexual politics and racial overtones of the case, Yovino's story was front-page news. Before jury selection in her trial was to begin, Nikki Yovino took a plea bargain. She copped to making a false report and was sentenced to a year in prison and three years probation. So one in four female college students are sexually assaulted. Only about 3% make false claims of rape, according to studies. Half of the women who report their assaults to police have their accounts called into question. So what should officers have done the night this happened? Um, (laughs) They should have done their... I mean, this is the whole thing. Like... So this is the only reason we know about this is mm-hmm. because of the false accusation, right? Yeah. So they should. Well, have, yeah. But that's go ahead. the only reason we know about it. It's the only reason we're talking about it. It's the only reason a Law and Order SVU episode was made about yes. it. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't matter that the police did their jobs and that she then re- rescinded her allegation, right? It does not matter. They should have done their jobs and they should have done exactly what they did do and they should have questioned it and they should have gone after the suspects just like they would do in any case. And then later she did her thing. It is so rare, right? You said one in four college students, college women, college students is sexually assaulted. Yeah. One in four reports. Reports, yes, exactly. Correct. It is more than one in four. That is like a known thing. I would agree. Uh, So I will just say the fact that we know about this one does not change the matrix in any way of the way law enforcement should behave. And I'm not going to judge the behavior of law enforcement in this case because this, in this one instance, this one woman happened to be one of the tiny, teeny percent that misreported a sexual assault. Sarah, what's your take on this? I'm not saying that um, what happened in, in what Cy told us isn't what happened, that she did in fact consent. But I think there's a whole interesting and horrifying side to sometimes it's easier to go, uh, it's okay, just stop, just stop everything. I said yes. I'm sorry that I said it was a rape. I said yes, can we all just stop now? Um, and watching through this season, it's it's really clear that um, the makers of this show want us to understand what sexual assault victims go through just in the reporting, Agreed. just to get them to report. Agreed. So the impact was very real for these two falsely accused men. Demir Bradley and Malik St. Hilaire are both black. She is white. Because of Sacred Heart's policies to protect the alleged victim, both guys were automatically suspended, barred from campus, and they lost their football scholarships. So they had to pay for the remainder of their education, even though they were later exonerated. 
They sued the school and Yovina for slander and emotional distress. What do you think? Should they win? They have a strong case. Sure. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Next question. I mean, I, I again, like, this is a complicated situation. It is. They'll still be okay. They are men in the world. She's a woman in the world. Like, this is a horrible situation for everybody. They should win. They should get their money back. Yes. Look, I'm a little unsure why the case got the media coverage it did. I feel like if it if it actually had been a rape, that it wouldn't have been a national story. It's because it seems like she is the straw man for that whole male fragility thing. See, I told you, women lied. Well, there's another story here, too, because she's white and they're black. There's also a story here about like this long, long um, history of like white people accusing black men Mm -hmm. of uh, like being predatory against white women. Right. Right. There's this long history of accusing black men of, you know, being predators against white women and vilifying them for that, even when it's not true. Right. There's a lot of layers to this story that elevated beyond them getting kicked off the football team. Right. And that elevated beyond even if the rape accusation had turned out to bear out. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a good argument that if she kept her mouth shut, that a white jury in New Haven, Connecticut might have uh, convicted these two guys. guys. I mean, I would say very close to 100 percent would have convicted these two guys. She is the outlier, Sarah, obviously. And the reason. Absolutely. Right. And the reason why it becomes a big deal is because when you have the one case where she very clearly just lied for a very stupid reason and nearly ruined the lives of two guys that it hurts the cause because it's already difficult enough for for real victims to come forward to be believed to get justice, right? Absolutely. I mean, we believe women, but what about that woman? Yeah. Well, we believe all the other women except her. Aha! But if there's one, yeah. you know. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, the media observed that when she was sentenced, Giovanna drummed her fingers and rolled her eyes when hearing about this. <laughs> Which is exactly what Rebecca does when we're having sex. <laughs> well, <laughs> that is going to do it for us. I do that a lot of times, Kevin, to be real. Uh, I want to thank our guest, Sarah Carradine. Sarah, where can our listeners follow you online? They can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Carradine, and I'm not shy about telling you everything that I'm doing there. And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? You can find me drumming my fingers and rolling my eyes constantly at Reb Lavoy on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media.